You don't have to look around very much here in Franklin to find all manner of different kinds of churches teaching different kinds of things, doing and saying different things. Many of these churches had their beginnings in what we call the Protestant Reformation. When Martin Luther decided finally to break ways, or actually it was decided for him, to part ways with the Catholic Church, this began an avalanche of splits and divisions, different movements and different fellowships being formed over the next couple hundred years from that time. And as people in different locations were attracted to these distinct fellowships, there began to be a desire for organization among the different congregations, and so a new entity arose. It was called a denomination. And now as we come up to our day, we have been so ingrained with denominationalism, growing up surrounded by it, some of us even in it, that it's just almost unthinkable to question it. In fact, for us to question whether or not it's alright to have all these different denominations and divisions, it's sometimes looked down upon as ridiculous. And yet, we need to recognize that we are supposed to test every thought, every tradition, every teaching by the Word of God. And so, we have to ask ourselves about denominationalism. Did God want it? What does the Bible say about denominationalism and division? I want us to begin by noting what we can find in the Bible. When we look to the Bible, we can find the universal church. We can look in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. And in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18 we find, And I also say to you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. In Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 10, Paul wrote in Ephesians 3 and verse 10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God may, might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. We learn that the church, Christ's church, His universal church, was eternally purposed in the mind of God to be brought about through Christ Jesus. And if we flip back a page or two to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, it says, He put all things under His feet and gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. The head of Christ's church is, in fact, Jesus Christ Himself. He is our President. He is the Father of the church. He is the head of the church. And so what we learn then is that the headquarters of Christ's church is not to be found here on earth, but rather at the right hand of God in heaven. In Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 29, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 29, Peter, while preaching on Pentecost, said this, "...men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day." Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. Verse 31, 
He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. Our head is at the right hand of God, and so that is where the headquarters of Christ's universal church can be found. When we consider what this church is, we turn to Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 22. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22, the Hebrew writer says to us, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. What is this church? This church is the collectivity of all those who are registered in heaven. That assembly of all people in all places of all times who by salvation have been registered in heaven's rolls. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, the Scripture there reads that these people who became Christians were praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I want you to notice the very important point that all this makes to us. Christ's universal church is not a collectivity of organizations, institutions, or churches. Christ's universal church is a collectivity of individuals, people of all places, of all times, whose names have been registered in heaven through the blood of Jesus Christ. We can find that universal church in the Bible. Secondly, we can find churches in a different way. We can find local churches described in the Bible. We can look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, to the church of God which is at Corinth. We know very plainly that he is not talking here about the universal church, all Christians of all times, of all places, because in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 23, to this group of people to whom he was writing, in 1 Corinthians 14, 23, he said, Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place, guess what? The universal church can't do that. He can't be talking about all Christians of all places of all times if he's talking to a group of people that can all come together in one place in a literal sense. Rather, he's talking about a localized group of Christians who have gathered together, assembling on a regular basis under a common oversight for a common purpose using a common treasury. He's talking about a local church. And we recognize that while there is only one universal church, there are multiple local churches that belong to Christ. We can look at the beginning of the book of Galatians. 1 Corinthians began by saying to this church in this place, but notice in the book of Galatians, chapter 1 and verse 2, he says that all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. You see, Galatia was not a city. Galatia was a large region. 
And there were multiple churches today. That would be as if Paul were writing today, he might say, to the churches of Tennessee. Because there's not just one, there are multiple churches. We also find Paul nailing this down in Romans chapter 16 and verse 16. As he pointed out in Romans chapter 16 and verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. Multiple churches, talking about local assemblies, Christians in local areas that band together, assembling regularly, serving God to accomplish a common purpose under common leadership, using a common treasury. That's what we find in Scripture, local church. Interestingly, while we look at the universal church and we see that God adds to His universal one body whenever somebody becomes saved, local churches work a little bit differently. You're not added to a local church when you become a Christian. Rather, you're added by mutual agreement. We can look in Acts chapter 22, beginning at verse 9. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 9, you'll remember. I'm sorry. It's going to be Acts chapter 9 and verse 22. Acts chapter 9 and verse 22. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and he brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. Saul tried to join himself with the disciples. He was coming from Damascus. He was moving to Jerusalem. He was not a member of the Jerusalem church. He wanted to join himself there. He wanted to become a part of their fellowship and cleave to them. But they wouldn't agree to it at first. And so Barnabas... What would we do if somebody who had killed some of us came back and said he wanted to join us? I think we'd be a little bit scared, wouldn't we? But Barnabas came to him and said, no, wait, he's converted. Listen to all the things that he's done. And then they agreed to bring him into the fellowship. So we find a difference between the universal and the local church. This is what we find in the Bible. We find God's two organizations when it comes to the church. The universal church headed by Christ and local churches. And that's it. Let me tell you what we do not find in the Bible. We do not find in the Bible anywhere something that is called or even remotely looks like a denomination. Before we talk about this, let's just get some definitions so that we understand what we're talking about. According to Webster's Encyclopedic Unabridged Dictionary, a denomination is a religious group, usually including many local churches, often larger than a sect. Denominationalism is denominational or sectarian spirit or policy, the tendency to divide into denominations or sects. I want you to notice a couple things here. Many local churches, division. You see that? that I mean, that is part and parcel of denomination. Division. That's what it is. We can look at religious dictionaries, and we find from the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology by Donald Tinder. Denominations are associations of congregations that have a common heritage. Moreover, a true denomination does not claim to be the only legitimate expression of the church. Thirdly, we can look at the Dictionary of Religious Terms by Donald Kaufman. Denominationalism 
a term for the continuation of the organizations and emphasis on the divisions and distinctions of Protestantism. This is what denominations are. Four things, conclusions that we come to based on this. Number one, that a denomination is an organized collectivity of churches. Number two, denominations are distinct and divided from one another. Number three, a denomination is supposed to be an organized part of the local church. It's not just informally a group of Christians in an area. It is formal organization. And number four, a denomination is bigger than a local church, but smaller than the universal church. This is what denominationalism is. Division, distinction, separation. Organization separate and apart from the local church and separate and apart from the universal church. We do not find this in the Bible. Not one single solitary time in all of Scripture do you ever find where congregations group together, forming mid-level institutions and organizations and associations. Not once do we ever find where congregations got together and elected officers and developed hierarchies to oversee more than one congregation. You never find that. Not even once. What we do find as far as God's organization, is the universal church, headed by Christ, and local churches, with their distinct organization. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 23, Acts chapter 14 and verse 23, it says, So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Elders, overseers, bishops, we might call them, or pastors, in every congregation. But what we find out from 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, the elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Where was the flock of God that was among them? The local churches wherein they were made elders. And that is the extent of their authority and leadership and rule was in a local congregation. Never once do we find any kind of office or hierarchy that goes beyond that over more than one congregation. We see congregations self-governed, submitting to the chief shepherd, and that's it. Let me tell you what else we find in the Bible. In the Bible, we find division condemned. In John chapter 17 and verse 21. John chapter 17, actually let's begin in verse 20. I do not pray for these alone in John 17, 20. He's saying, I'm not just praying for the apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Guess who that is? Aren't we believing in Christ through their word? What they wrote down? Absolutely. He said, I'm not just praying for these apostles. I'm praying for every Christian that ever walks on the face of the earth. That they all may be, you notice the word? One. As you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus wanted oneness, not division. Look in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4, Paul wrote, There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, 
one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and in all and through you all. How many bodies did God want? One. How many faiths? One. And just as we believe there's one God, one Lord, one Spirit, it's just as important that we recognize there is to be one body and one faith, not divided faiths. Not divided, distinct bodies. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 10, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Absolutely not. Christ and His body, one, no division, be joined together of the same mind, teaching the same thing, accomplishing the same work. That's what God wanted. No divisions. Division is condemned. He also wanted unity among the different local congregations. While there would be no organization that bonded them together, He expected unity between them. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17, Paul said this, For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach everywhere, in every church. What's supposed to be taking place? We've got the universal church, all Christians everywhere. We've got local congregations, groups bonding together to support the work of God together. And if we move from one church to the other, we ought to be able to find the same thing taught because we're following the same God, following the revelation of the same Spirit, living in the same hope of our calling, obedient to the same faith. It ought to be united. That's what God wanted. But despite the fact that God wanted that, brethren, God knew it wouldn't be that way. We should not be shocked that it is different from that today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 18, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 18, For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. Why do you believe it, Paul? For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. He says there must be divisions. We knew it was going to happen. God knew it was going to happen. Why? To be able to tell who's approved. Because as the gospel's going out, there's going to be people who want parts of it, but they don't want all of it. And they'll come into the churches, but they won't be approved. And two can't walk together unless they're agreed, and so eventually they'll divide and become distinct and separate. And by seeing that, we'll be able to determine who's approved, those who stick with the truth versus those who divide away from it. For example, we can look at what happened. This happened even as early as the New Testament. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19, as John described who we've come to know as the Gnostics, he said in 1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest, and none of them were of us. Here was a group of people within the churches 
that didn't hold to the truth. They didn't believe that Christ came in the flesh. They weren't approved of God, and how did they know who were the ones that were unapproved? When the division started, and they started leaving the churches, and they made up their own fellowships. Even some of them wrote their own Gospels that we have today that we call the Gnostic Gospels. And the same kind of thing has happened continually for 2,000 years. As people not wanting to accept the full Gospel of Christ have come up with their own teachings, divided off, started their own fellowships, started distinct groups, organized them into denominations. And we can tell who is approved by looking at who is just teaching the Word of God. Who's not? Lots of folks today like to say, that, oh, the division is good. The different things are good because, well, it gives a little healthy competition as we strive to work to, to get more people here. Oh, it's good and healthy because folks get a choice. Jesus said it wasn't healthy because in John 17, 20 and 21, He pointed out that what was healthy is if all Christians everywhere were unified because that would be the testimony to the world that the Father indeed sent Jesus, the Son, into the, onto the earth. That's what would be healthy. We don't find denominationalism in the Bible. It's not authorized. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 therefore demonstrates that denominationalism is not a good work. But not only do we just not find authority, we find specific condemnation of the division that is denominationalism. We can't be a part of it. And so we ask the question, well, what do we need to do then to be what God wants? I'll tell you what we need to do. First of all, we need to get rid of the creed books. We need to get rid of the things that men have written coming up with their own doctrines and their own teachings and organizing their own groups. If we could get rid of all those books and faith in those books, we could get rid of division and denominationalism. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 9. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 9, Jesus, quoting from Isaiah, said, In vain they worship Me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. The catechisms and creed books, the handbooks and manuals that govern so many denominations, if we could just wipe those off the face of the earth and make everyone just go back to the Bible, we could get rid of the division. Because the Bible only says one thing. God is not the author of confusion. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is all we need. We don't need men to write books to tell us how churches are to be run. All we need is what God said about how the church is to be run. The second thing that we need to do is we need to get rid of all the organizations, the hierarchies and the offices that don't have scriptural authority. We need to get rid of these offices that, that are over states and countries, that are over multiple churches. If we would just have local congregations shepherded by elders, served by deacons, taught by evangelists, ministered to by one another in the church all submitting just to the one shepherd, Jesus Christ, then we could get rid of all this division and this disunity. Again, in 1 Peter chapter 5. 
1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Peter wrote, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. If we can get churches to be autonomous, self-governed by their own elders... And then beyond that, submitting only to Jesus Christ through His Word, we can get rid of the denominationalism and the division that permeates our world. We can have unity. What else must we do? Well, we must be willing to do this ourselves, even if nobody else is. Let's face it. When God had the New Testament written, He knew there would be divisions. Let's not be surprised that we're going to find them today. And let's not be shocked that we're not going to stop it. Most of the world says unity, but wants their own faith and division. And we're not going to change that. We can pull some out of it. But we have to be able to stand up and say, even if nobody else will do what I find in the Scripture, we'll do it. We ought to be able to say that we as Christians are going to be in universal fellowship through the blood of Christ with all other Christians. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. That when we walk in the light, His blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness and we have fellowship with one another. But the only other organization we're going to be involved in is the local church. Neither this congregation nor the members of it have, should have any organizational association with any other congregation, period. Local churches and Christians involved in them who are also members of the Universal Church, and that's it. If you're a guest here today, I want to tell you that is exactly what you find here. We are a local congregation that is not organizationally affiliated with any other church. I know you've seen churches all over Franklin that have similar names to ours. Churches that say Church of Christ as well. And I hope that they truly are submitting to the Word of God. But we are not organizationally affiliated with them. There's no headquarters somewhere that's passing down to us what each of these churches is supposed to teach and believe. There's nobody that's written a book that says, alright, here's what you do as a Church of Christ church. God wrote the book and we're following it. And that's it. And we Christians while we are in universal fellowship with everyone else, everywhere, of all times and all places, who are in the blood of Christ, whose names are registered in heaven, we are not associated with any of those other churches. Not in that organizational capacity. We may be related through the blood of Christ to those Christians in all those churches, but that's it. That's it. This is our fellowship here locally. We have no creeds. We have no dogmas and doctrines for men. We have just the Bible. We are not only, despite what the phone book may tell you, non-denominational. We are anti-denominational. Opposed to it. And we invite you to be a part of non-denominational Christianity. Getting out of the division. Being unified in Christ. Let's cap this off with a great quote 
from Billy Graham. In his book, Facing Death and the Life After, in a section that says what will not be in heaven, here's what he has to say. In heaven there will be no sectarian worship, no denominational differences, no church creeds. God did not invent denominations. Man did. And all I can say to that, brethren, is amen. That is the absolute truth. The sad part about it is is that Mr. Graham wrote this in order to get us to overlook denominational division. I suggest to you that it ought to cause us to rebuke it to turn away from it in all its forms. You remember what Jesus said as He taught His disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10? They were supposed to pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we can't find these differences in heaven, what are we doing with them down here on earth? Let's get rid of them. And again, Matthew chapter 15 and verse 9. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 9. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. If man invented it and we're involved in it, what did Matthew 15, verse 9 say about our worship? It says it's vain. If man invented denominationalism in this division, we don't want to be a part of it. We need to be just Christians. In fellowship with Christ and in fellowship with all other Christians through the blood of Christ, members of a local congregation. Nothing more, nothing less. That's what we need to be in. So the question remains then, how do we do that? How do we get to be a part of that? Well, if it's the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all unrighteousness, putting us in fellowship with all others who are cleansed. We need to ask, how do I get into the blood? I think Romans chapter 6 answers that question pretty clearly. In Romans chapter 6, I'll just read it to you since you've got your songbooks out. Beginning at verse 1, Paul said, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. If you want to enter the death of Christ, we've got to be baptized into Christ. As Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. Based on our faith, we confess with our mouths that we believe Jesus Christ is the Lord. We turn away from our sins, repenting of them, as it says in Acts 2.38, and are baptized for the remission of our sins, also Acts 2.38. Immersed in water, raised to walk in newness of life. We're not sprinkled. We're not poured. We don't say the sinner's prayer. We don't pray through to salvation. We don't have a moment of faith. We submit in faithful obedience to Christ, confessing Him turning away from our sins and being baptized, immersed in water for the remission of our sins. And remember what it said in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47? That at that point when we're saved, the Lord adds us to His body. Then we have fellowship with all the saved. And then we have access into a local congregation. Have you done that? We invite you to be a part of non-denominational Christianity, anti-denominational, opposed to division of every kind just submitting to the unity of God's Word. 